How do you form productive habits? I talk about that and more on this episode of This is Foster. Let's start with one of my favorite passages from Scripture, Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it, and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. I love the movie Groundhog's Day. It stars Bill Murray as a narcissistic weatherman who relives the exact same day, Groundhog's Day, for 30 to 40 years. Basically, he's sent to do a report on the groundhog Punxsutawney Phil in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And he hates it. He hates the town, the people, the job. He hates everything. He is just miserable and can't wait to escape Punxsutawney and go back home. But no matter what he does, every morning he wakes up to Sonny and shares, I got you, babe, on Groundhog's Day. Over and over again, he's stuck in Punxsutawney. He retains all his memories of every Groundhog's Day that he relives, but no one else does. At first, Murray's character uses this for selfish and hedonistic purposes. He perfectly times robbing a bank. He learns intimate details of women to seduce them, so on and so forth. These passing pleasures wear thin in time, and he repeatedly tries to end his own life to escape. But every morning, it's Sonny and Cher again. Murray's character realizes he is stuck, and that starts a process of reflection. He takes interest in other people. He listens to their stories. He tries to help those in the town. He uses all the time he has to learn new skills how to play the piano, and so forth. He learns to enjoy others. He becomes the life of the party. It's the sort of thing that makes you want to make good use of your own time, to learn something, to become better. Now, admittedly, this is a Christless self-improvement story, but it does illustrate an important principle. Time is the enemy of the immoral sluggard, but a friend to a God-fearing, diligent man. Time compounds who we are. A flexible sapling will grow into an inflexible, full-grown oak tree if given only time. In the passage, Solomon reflects on another man's story as demonstrated in his vineyard. The Hebrew here for reflects communicates the expression of a lingering look at an object after the attention has been directed to it. A broken and unkept vineyard grabs one's attention. Vineyards are valuable. They produce wine to drink, sell, and trade. They are something that can be handed down from one generation to the next. And yet, The treatment of this one is at odds with its value. Why is this so? How did this happen, Solomon wonders. After reflecting for a time, it says he received instruction. Now, this instruction isn't a divine word from God. It's not a direct or special revelation. It's what we call general or natural revelation. Through reflection, his brain started to unravel the mystery and solve the puzzle. He was working things out in his mind and making deductions. In his Proverbs commentary, Charles Bridges writes, Everything around us reads as a useful lesson to an observant eye. Every particle of creation may be taxed to furnish its quota to our store of knowledge. We can extract good, even from evil, and gather grapes of thorns and figs of thistles. This broken vineyard is an outward manifestation of a disordered heart. It's a reflection of someone who won't take responsibility for himself, let alone others. He is a sluggard. Sluggard is a word that has fallen out of usage. You don't hear it very often except for its derivative, sluggish. Matter of fact, it isn't even a very common word in scripture. 
It only appears 14 times, and every one of those appearances are located in the book of Proverbs. So although it isn't common in the whole of Scripture, it is an important reoccurring theme in Proverbs. Again, sluggard is a person who is habitually lazy, idle, and inactive. And a quick survey of its uses in Proverbs fleshes out the particular character of this sort of man. Let's consider just a few. First, a sluggard is a prolific consumer. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of a sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent man is made fat. Proverbs 21.25, the desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hand refuses to work. A sluggard is an excuse maker. Proverbs 22.13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, I will be killed in the streets. A sluggard is a beggar. Proverbs 24.4, The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. A sluggard lives for the weekend and snow days. Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A sluggard is a know-it-all. Proverbs 26, 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. A sluggard is a man lacking sense. If you consume but don't produce, you lack sense. If you constantly must make excuses for yourself but think of yourself as wiser than others, you lack sense. If you're always kicking back but soon will need to beg to sustain yourself, you lack sense. The sluggard lacks sense. He lives in opposition to natural principles that are easily discerned. He lives recklessly like there won't be any consequences for his actions. He is only able to do this because he has cultivated a short memory. He only has a short memory because he lives for the moment. Now, this is supposed to be about building productive habits, right? And yet here we are talking about the opposite. We are talking about the unholy habits of a sluggard. But here's the thing. Habits, whether holy or unholy, have the same basic nature and power. You cannot build a productive life without holy habits. So we can learn a lot about habits by even considering a negative example. The first thing I want you to see about habits is that they are small. James Clear wrote a great book called Atomic Habits. I don't think that he's a believer, but it's it's still a great book. Clear says, habits are the small decisions you make and actions you perform every day. Look at the instruction Solomon receives in verse uh, 33 and 34, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. The sluggard's vineyard didn't get overgrown and broken down all at once. It happened little by little, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Many, if not most, personal crises are the result of years of bad habits. They only feel like they came out of nowhere. But behind most health, Financial, marriage, and parenting crises are mountains of little decisions made and actions taken over and over again. Solomon says, then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. The slugger's little habits lead to big results that seemingly come to fruition all at once. His poverty feels like he was robbed by an armed man all of a sudden. But in reality, it's been building little by little for some time. Small actions when repeated have powerful results, but those results aren't immediate. I bought some of my kids rocks for Christmas. I even told them I bought them rocks for Christmas because I knew they wouldn't believe me. Now, these were geodes, rocks with crystals inside of them. You can open them with a single swing of a sledgehammer, but that often destroys the cool formations inside. 
A better way to crack them open is to take a chisel and a hammer and slowly tap away until a crack forms and then you gently open it. It's like 99 taps and you don't see anything. And then all of a sudden, on that hundredth tap, a crack forms. Now, which tap formed a crack? Well, all a hundred did. It just didn't produce the desire effect immediately. Whether good or bad, this is how habits work. Their power is realized over time and comes seemingly out of nowhere. Do you want a productive life? I do. It's a good goal. But I want to suggest that you resolve to be aimed at cultivating habits and not the outcome of the habits, the end goal. I like what Clear says in his book. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Your goal is your desired outcome. Your system is the collection of daily habits that will get you there. This year, spend less time focusing on outcomes and more time focusing on the habits that precede the results. That's helpful. Big goals don't deliver big results. It's the consistent system of daily habits that produce results. Funny enough, big goals can actually undermine long-term lasting results. Let me give you an example. A goal-focused orientation can make it about the end result and not behavior change. How many times have you or someone you known made massive radical changes to achieve a goal and did, but slowly fell back into their old habits and put the weight on and then some, right? It's because they made it primarily about losing weight, not cultivating a healthy lifestyle. It was bad habits that caused a person to fall into poor fitness, and it will be good habits that will lift them out of it. Massive action, if not sustained, won't produce lasting results. It's better to work out 20 minutes three times a week for a year than to work out two hours four times a week for only a month. Worse yet, the failure will lead to even deeper complacency. Remember, in a competition, winners and losers both have the same goal, to win. What separates them is their habits, their disciplines. Goals in of themselves don't drive change, which gets me to another point Clear argues in his book. And I see this point in scripture. Habits flow out of and reinforce your identity. People who think of themselves as runners tend to run. People who think of themselves as writers tend to write. The more a runner runs, the more they think of themselves as a runner. The more a writer writes, the more they think of themselves as a writer. Now, think of who you are because of the gospel. You are not an object of God's wrath, but rather an object of his love. You are not a slave of sin, but rather a slave to righteousness. You are no longer under sin's dominion, but are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation in Christ with new desires and appetites. You are free from sin's dominion. Now live like a free man. You are a disciple, and disciples live lives of discipline. Who are you, Christian? Now live like it. In Thoughts for Young Men, J.C. Ryle says this about habits. Custom becomes second nature, and its chains are not easily broken. Habits are like stones rolling down a hill. The further they roll, the faster and more ungovernable are their course. Habits like trees are strengthened by age. A boy may bend an oak when it's a sapling. A hundred men cannot root it up when it's a full-grown tree. A child can wade over a river at its fountainhead. The largest ship in the world can float in it when it gets near the sea. So it is with habits. The older, the stronger, the longer they have held possession, the harder they will be to cast out. They grow with our growth and strengthen with our strength. He had sinful habits in mind. The same is true with holy habits. 
Time is the enemy of the immoral sluggard, but a friend to a God-fearing, diligent man. Start small. Start today. Let your habits take possession of you. And who knows where the Lord will carry you. Until next time, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. I'm Michael Foster, and I appreciate you listening to this podcast. One of the best ways you can help it out is just to leave a rating or a review or share it with a friend.